Hello and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast that deals with the intricacies of planning worship with and for your faith community. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries with the worship team at Discipleship Ministries, a general agency of the United Methodist Church located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. During this time of transition from virtual to in-person and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church, finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and shape the church we are becoming. Today, I am thrilled to have with me as my special guest, Dr. Kimberly R. Wagner, who is the Axel Jacob and Gerda Maria Swanson Carlson Chair in Homiletics, Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. She also serves as an advisor and instructor in the Association of Chicago Theological Schools, the D-Men in Preaching Program. Her research, teaching, and scholarship and homiletics focus on the role of the church and of all of God's people as proclaimers of the gospel in an ever-changing world, as well as on collective trauma, the role of the preacher and the nature of trauma-informed and trauma-responsive preaching. She received an MDiv and a PhD from Emory University. Welcome, Dr. Wagner. Thank you for being with us today, and I appreciate you taking time away from your sabbatical to record this podcast. So why don't we just start with you telling us something about yourself and your ministry journey. Who are you? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's such a thrill uh, to get to have this conversation. So you gave my, my little bio there, but really share a little bit about my call to ministry, my call to this work. My call to ministry really came early in my life. Even as a child, I was compelled by what the church might have to say to and with the world through music, through preaching, through teaching. And I was nurtured as a young person by wonderful mentors who encouraged me in those questions. My undergraduate degree and first career was actually in secondary science education. So I was a 10th grade biology teacher and 8th grade earth and space science teacher. And that's where I fell in love with with education and with teaching. Um, And then received a kind of tug to seminary. Went to seminary, as you mentioned, at Candler School of Theology at Emory. I'm actually ordained in the Presbyterian Church USA and served a church in southeastern Virginia for four years. And then really this, this work that I do now is really a sense of a continuation of my call to the church. I see my academic work as an extension of my service uh, mm-hmm. to the wider church and to God's people. And I'm currently serving at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, teaching preaching and ministerial leadership there. So really all of this work kind of comes together around preaching and teaching for me. And the work around trauma really has been become more and more critical around these moments, but as a sense of my sense of call and mission in helping preachers and worship leaders and and church leaders who are figuring out how to talk about this in their communities. So that's a little bit about me, maybe more than you wanted, but... (laughs) <laughs> no, no, that's a great. What what is refreshing about that story, Kim, is that is that it's such a positive thing. The church mentored you. The church shaped you, and and you you respond to that. You know, too often we hear about people coming into church leadership to fix it because it was so bad for them. So so that's a that's an amazing beginning, and yet you also want to focus on struggle trauma. You recently gave a lecture to the Festival of Homiletics held in Denver. It was titled, Out of the Depths, Preaching in the Wake of Mass Trauma. 
and again and again during the festival, the theme of which was after the storm, preaching and trauma, preachers and speakers questioned that word after. It's as if trauma just goes on and on. You know, uh, the pandemic is over. No, it isn't. It's still going on. All these kinds of things. So so let's start with a, a description of what trauma is. Um, how do you define it? Yeah. So um, in my kind of upcoming book that's coming out and in my teaching, I often define trauma as a kind of a fully embodied kind of blow or wounding of the mind, the body, the spirit self. And here I'm thinking of that beautiful Hebrew word nefesh, right? That mm-hmm. whole self. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a blow or wounding of that whole self. I think that occurs when a destructive experience or an event exceeds a individual's or a community's resources to process it, to make sense of it, to to put it in the kind of frameworks of the way we understand the world to work, the narratives that we've depended on thus far to to guide us on our way, right? And so a lot of times trauma is that which cannot be coped with, made sense of, conceived, and kind of lives outside this realm of all of the stories that we've told about ourselves and the world and God uh, that have made helped us make sense of and navigate the world. And so trauma is this really tricky thing because to define it is to define something that is that is slippery, right? That, mm-hmm. that can't quite be um, grasped. And I think it's important, I often talk about this when I define trauma, that it's important to define trauma apart from the traumatic event. Right, because okay. a traumatic event has a beginning, a middle, and hopefully an end, but we can talk about that, especially with the pandemic, right? right, right. But trauma is that which lingers. And sometimes we don't even begin to conceive of the depth or the kind or the response to trauma that we have until the event is ended, or until at least there's a sense of of tentative safety, right, for us to begin to process it. So for me it's really important to hold those things apart. Because trauma is really the subjective experience of an event that, that exceeds our capacity to cope with it or process it or make sense of it. So that, that to me is important to hold apart. And, and I hear that. That makes perfect sense to me. But, but if it is so subjective in terms of trauma, then how can we talk about collective trauma? If everybody individually is going to respond differently, how can there be communal trauma? Yes, such a great question. Thank you for that. So Communal trauma and individual trauma are two separate things. They interact with one another and they feed one another, but they actually, they're separate things. So collective trauma is more than just the assemblage of varied individual traumas. Mm -hmm. Those varied individual traumas occur, right? One plus one plus one plus one. And it is a subjective experience, but communities as a whole also experience this disorientation that comes from trauma. This, the communal stories we tell about who we are, the patterns and traditions that shape us, they become, they get thrown into question and disoriented because they didn't hold the community together during these traumatic incidents. And, and collective trauma really does two simultaneous things, right? It, it ties together what I like to call sub-communities of the equally wounded, which at first is a really supportive thing, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes can solidify and pull away from the larger community. Because let's the the bar of entry into those sub-communities is is really high, right? You have to have experienced that trauma in the same way. The other and more pervasive, I'll say, thing that happens with collective or communal trauma is the way it pulls community apart. And it pulls community apart in two ways. One is along the kind of fault lines of conflict 
that have been rumbling under the surface. I don't know about you. I've never been part of a community that has had zero conflict, right? <laughs> I'd love to one day. <laughs> right, right. I think yeah. that's I think that's kingdom work. Amen. But I but automatically, what collective trauma does is it exacerbates it. Mm. It breaks open those points of conflict. The other thing it does is it pulls people apart based off of proximity to the trauma. So those, so if we think about mm. a mass shooting, right? Unfortunately, too much in the headlines right now that those who have lost loved ones or who were injured in the mass shooting are kind of at the center, right? right. And then that kind of, I like to think of it as concentric circles, like how you throw a, a rock in the pond, you know, and it makes ripples. Mm-hmm. So the center is those who are most directly impacted. And then you go out and out and it's, you know, then first responders or family that lost people and then first responders and it goes out and out and out. And oftentimes communities experiencing collective or communal trauma will pull apart based off of proximity to the event because we, as part of our human nature, have a natural allergy to trauma and pain, right? We don't Mm -hmm. want to experience it. And so our natural instinct is to kind of pull away. And so I think it's important to think about the subjective nature of trauma at both an individual and collective level separately although they certainly interact and feed each other. So individual subjective experiences are happening at the same time that whole communities are subjectively as a community mm-hmm. experiencing uh, that trauma, which is what makes preaching so hard, right? Because we are called to proclaim the gospel right. and to preach into situations with traumatized communities filled with traumatized individuals. And so that can add this kind of extra layer of challenge. Hang on for a minute. We'll get to response in just a minute, yes, which is what yes, I really yes, want to yes, talk I... about. But, but, but I really want to understand the dynamic a little bit more. When you talk about the collective trauma and, and the things that we hold together. So you're talking about faith. Faith has now entered into the picture. Absolutely. And, and within the community, the people who share a faith may experience it, understand it, differently because they're different and all that, but there's this commonality about it. And as you said, I believe you said, it didn't protect us. It didn't keep this trauma from happening. And so some then begin to question their faith. Others go deeper in their faith. And so that's part of that tension as well, that faith is not responding adequately or at least expected ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that I, you named it so beautifully because I think there's two things faith does you know, at its core, trauma is, has a disorienting impact, right? It has a disruptive impact. And so, the, as you said, like the stories we've told, the values we've held, no longer hold. They didn't keep us safe. They're no longer trustworthy, right? As they can't accommodate or make sense of the traumatic reality we've experienced. And as you named, faith is not immune to this. There are the stories we've told about God and how God works. And we see again and again in, in our in our biblical text, right, in the Psalms, these psalmists wrestling with, God, you were supposed to keep me safe. Right, right. Where what were the you? heck? Yeah. Right, where were you? I, I'm paraphrasing there with what the heck, but you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, what? That's, that's how I translate the Mola. That's how I translate it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. But like, so we, so faith. And our perceptions of who God is and how God works is not immune to the disorienting impact of trauma. Mm-hmm. However, at the same time, faith can also be a great source of support and, and even comfort, right? That we even as we are questioning God, we lean on God because we don't have anything else. And what I think that we have to start contending with is that those two things 
don't cancel each other out, that they can coexist, right? That we can be angry and, and question our faith while we still look to God for guidance and care and support. And that these two things are not mutually exclusive. And in fact, one doesn't crush the other. Doubt, asking these questions is not the opposite of, of trust in God, right? Mm-hmm. We always talk about doubt is not the opposite of faith, right? Right. And, and, and I, the other thing is, is I think that our faith stories, whether they are in scripture or the stories we have told us as, as faith communities through the generations, are important because even if we can't believe them and claim them in the moment, they can be held in trust for us until we can lean into them again, right? And so sometimes these faith stories may not feel true. They may not seem right right, in, the, in, in, in light of the experience of trauma. However, communities, both present and historical, and communities that accompany those experiencing trauma, can hold and trust these stories for each other until we can claim them again. And so these faith stories don't disappear. In fact, they, I think, create room for the disorienting reality of trauma, as long as we don't erase both trust and questions, that faith can hold both of those things at the exact same time. And that I think that is something that we can nurture in our theological language and the ways we teach Bible studies and preach, right? But this idea that faith can be thrown into question, and that's Mm -hmm. not wrong. But also faith at the same time can be a source of support or a kind of promise that is held out for us to claim again. So That to me is how I, I think a little bit about how trauma impacts faith. Okay. That, Mike, there's so much in there. I, I hardly know how to respond. I, I, let, me, let me try two things, two things that I heard in, in your response there. Number one, that, that the response of the preacher, the leaders, or just the people of faith is permission giving, permission to experience the trauma, to, to say this is, you're really experiencing this, to move away from denial. I mean, we have so much denial in life at church. So, you know, because you really believe this isn't happening. Oh, gosh, it is happening. You know, and so giving permission and to hold those two things, the questions, the doubts, the fears, the anger, along with holding on to faith. Is, is that one level of, of what you were trying to say? Give permission. We give permission. Absolutely. It's permission that then I think can become blessing, right? That we yep. bless kind of the broken fragments of experience. I talk a little bit in my writing about the experience of trauma being that of narrative fracture, right? The stories that we held falling to pieces mm-hmm. that don't mm-hmm. fit together anymore. And I think when we are able to to really conceive of the ways that we can make space for both brokenness and hope, for both Mm -hmm. death and resurrection, that Mm -hmm. we, in essence, bless this kind of conflicted, fractured condition of folks. And um, it allows us to, it's absolutely permission, but it's also almost an honor or a blessing Mm -hmm. of that experience as not beyond the grace of God. Right. I think one of the hardest things is that we think our brokenness somehow or our trauma somehow separates us from God. And if the preacher can model and can can accompany folks in that tension between brokenness and hope or between brokenness and the promise of hope that we can't yet feel, that it blesses that as not beyond welcome in the community and not beyond welcome with God. 
And right. so to me, that's at the heart of, of, of that. So, so worship makes space for lament and, and gives voice to lament. Sometimes the preacher can, can articulate it, but other times just let, let people speak, you know, find ways for people to give testimony. And, and their testimony does not have to tie everything up in, in neat packages and say, I've got it all fixed up. You know, I'm hurting, I'm confused, I'm lost, I'm angry, you know, all those kinds of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the one of the sneaky things about trauma is one of the first things it steals is language. And so a lot of Mm -hmm. time people experiencing trauma will often not not be able to even articulate their anger in complete sentences. Right. Or in or in full ways and be able to explain it all. And just to say, like, that, too, is testimony is Mm -hmm. such a gift Mm -hmm. folks experiencing trauma. And again, to offer space for crying out to God that also has that thread right, of the promise that God is not missing, right, that right. God is still present. And to, to, to invite people to express that disjointed anger and lament and pain in the presence of, of, of grace, right, mm-hmm. is such a gift and is something I think preachers can model in their sermons and also mm-hmm. make space for in their worship. Right. And some of that can be music. You know, the moan, uh, the African-American spiritual tradition of the moan, which, as you say, is inarticulate and yet reaches down into the depths of of the pain. um, And allows people to to do that. So give space to that. Absolutely. The the second thing that uh, came from, uh, that I heard you saying was about the stories that don't fit that someone holds in trust. Now, I Mm. want to go back to that idea a little bit. What often happens in in my experience with that is I've left behind the stories because they don't fit me right now. When I come back to them, I'm different. They're different. Everything has changed. It's not that I go back to my Sunday school faith. You know, things have happened and now I have to reinterpret, I have to re-understand. So it's it's a growing into process. I have to hear them differently. Is that part of what you're arguing with that? Absolutely. Kind of two things going on there, both of which are kind of wisdom, I like to think, from our Israelite ancestors wandering in the wilderness, right? The first is that, there, as you said, there's no return, right? That I think about the Israelites coming back to Jerusalem after being in exile, right? And they came back, and they could stand on the same street corner with the same people, and it's totally different, Mm -hmm. right? Because they have been changed by the trauma of exile. The city has been changed by the trauma of exile. The fact is there are now those returning. There are the remnant who remained, right? That everything has changed. And so the first thing to say is, I think anytime we look look to the stories that we had before and expect them to, to work in the same ways or that we interpret them in the same ways is, is kind of a false expectation and that we need to be open to the ways that they are they, they find new embodiment, right, in our mm-hmm. lives and in, in the lives of our communities. But the second thing is that I think one of the things that we see again and again in scripture, and again, I'll just use an example from the Israelite experience of any time they were in the wilderness, there was always some, they were com- coping with some kind of trauma, right? Whether it was leaving uh, slavery in Egypt or, or they were, you know, headed into exile or returning from exile. And again and again, the prophets and the Psalms that were written during that period recite the basic, the basic stories, right? The stories of wandering and loss, the stories of God's covenant and promise, the stories of 
God's faithfulness and their rebellion, as well as God's faithfulness and their faithful response, right? These ongoing storytelling. And so to me, it's not that we hold out the story and say, this will function for you again in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. But we hold these stories of death and resurrection because the basic paradigm of death and resurrection is one that is a living story, right? If we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, it's a living story that mm-hmm. then can live with us and grow with us and shift with us um, and be re-embodied in new ways in the wake of, of trauma and our traumatic experiences. And so to hold these stories in trust is not to say we're holding a very particular view of a story, but holding these foundational narratives that give us identity, that help us to know who we are, and that come to life in new ways in light of our experiences. Mm-hmm. And and not just new ways, but more profound ways, more, yeah. more helpful ways, you know, that'll, that'll sustain us longer in the future. You know, I, yeah. I think it's, it's overly simplistic and, and I apologize. I'm not trying to demean all that you're saying, but you take a hymn like God will take care of you. And, and there's a, there's a surface, you know, childlike faith that says, okay, nothing bad's going to happen. And then something bad happens. And so, so God obviously isn't going to take care of me. But then I can come back and say, well, what does it mean to say God will take care of me? And, and talk about the church and the fellowship and, and the ongoing and the sustaining and the presence in the midst and all of those kinds of things. And so now I, I say that phrase, not expecting what I expected before, but something new and, and, and deeper and more sustaining in the future. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things, you know, the light, the trauma language we talk about is, is cultivating resiliency, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that what you just described is someone who is able to, to deepen their sense of what it means to lean into God in times of trauma, that God will take care of you and what that actually means when, when, you know, the storm is raging, right? right. And, right. Um, and to have this kind of cultivated resiliency. And to me, that's evidence of resurrection, right? Amen. I, it, yeah. I, I, I believe so deeply, you know, trauma doesn't have to have a good lesson at the end. <laughs> I think a lot of times we try to find like, what's the good that comes out of this, right? Or what mm. can I learn from this? And I think if we move too quickly to that, we, we deny the hard, right? We deny right. the challenge. Um, we kind of paper over what is hurting. And instead, what would it look like to, to, to recognize that when lessons and when good comes out, it's really evidence of God's resurrection work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, anytime somebody shares their trauma story which, with me, which happens a lot in my uh, line of work. I, I can imagine that's true. <laughs> yeah, that when they share with me a lesson that they learned or a way that they've been strengthened or a, a theological insight that now is deeply embedded in, in who they are and in their faith and their belief. I always just think like, thanks be to God, right? Like, mm-hmm. like thanks be to God for this kind of resurrection work that is happening even in the midst of, of, of pain and trauma and evil at work in the world too. So to me, there's, I, I, I always want to nuance it with not every trauma has a lesson, but every time there's a lesson or a depth that is gained or resiliency or, you know, resiliency gained, it to me is just powerful evidence of resurrection, mm-hmm. and and God's ongoing presence in in the midst of all of that too, and that's amen. A, that's a trust statement, a faith statement that says even though I feel alone, I feel cut off. I'm I'm trusting. Amen. My faith says, even though my experience doesn't, but my faith says God is here somehow. Absolutely. So let's let's shift for a few moments now and let's talk to preachers. You know what 
What would you say to them about how they help shepherd this process in worship? You know, how specific can you be? Should you be? And does it matter whether the trauma is in your house or backyard or or around the country or whether it's an immediate kind of thing like a shooting or an ongoing kind of thing like a pandemic? How, give us some guidelines, Kim, about how would we approach this stuff? Easy tips, you know, how to fix everything is what. what okay, so you want, and I have what, 30 seconds to yeah, fix it all, like right? <laughs> Put it all together. Put it all together. Well, let me, let me first, I think it's really helpful to think about trauma responsive versus trauma informed or trauma aware preaching. To hold those two things apart, I think is the first thing to say, because then I can speak to both of them. Trauma responsive preaching to me is that those moments when we have no choice but to respond, right? In the wake of a mass shooting, in the wake of the lockdown, first lockdown of the pandemic, right? When a natural disaster strikes. And I think preachers have to get a sense right away of how deeply that event is impacting their community. So if it happens in your backyard, there's an urgency there that is different than if it is happening across the country. And so the conversation you have and the laments you you raise when it's in your backyard are much more urgent, where when you are distanced from it in some way, there's an invitation to both lament and action that we are able to move to more quickly, mm-hmm. right? And so the first thing to say is trauma-responsive preaching requires us to speak honestly. You said, how much can you talk about? Talk about it all. If you're doing actual trauma-responsive preaching, part of one of the things you can do is name honestly before God in a kind of priestly role and before the congregation in a pastoral role what has happened, what has been lost, what has been broken. Not just lives lost or property lost, but also we've lost a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. We've lost the illusion that science can save us. We've lost the illusion that our children are safe in their schools. Right? We've lost a sense that we are immune to these things. Right? We may have lost some faith in where God is. And to name honestly before the congregation what has been lost and broken, both naming honestly what has happened, but also these other kind of existential or communal losses. And so for me, trauma-responsive preaching, you almost have permission to just do the work and to model faithfully for the congregation lament, to model faithfully for the congregation what it means to to cry out before God, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the first thing with trauma-responsive preaching. Trauma-informed preaching is, is work that recognizes that there are people carrying trauma, sometimes unknown to anyone else, in the pews. And that at any given moment, folks may be triggered, folks may need care. And so, so oftentimes when I think about trauma-responsive preaching, we don't have to necessarily directly name the trauma, but we need to be aware that trauma is happening, right? And we need to preach in ways that, first of all, is aware of triggering things. So I really, with my students, when I teach preaching, anytime they preach sermons of stories of infertility, mm-hmm. I say, how do we preach that in a trauma-aware way with the recognition that there are probably quite a few couples, families, women in your pews who long for a child and have been unable to have one, yep. right? Yep. 
And then thinking about anytime there's violence in the Bible, like how do you talk about that or sexual assault or any of those things. And so thinking about that, but also trauma-informed preaching is cognizant that trauma ebbs and flows for different communities and different people. So we talked briefly about kind of the prolonged nature of the pandemic. And part of the challenge of preaching through the pandemic is there were moments where we can preach directly on it, right? When the lockdown happened when we had to shut down again because of a new variant, right? Those kind of things where we needed to talk, be trauma responsive directly about it. But the reality is, as this thing goes on, the trauma is just now starting to really surface, right? And it's going to come in ebbs and flows and in waves. Um, And and so preachers need to think in trauma-informed ways that you don't have to talk about the pandemic every Sunday. Um, Goodness gracious, we don't want to talk about the same thing every Sunday. Um, It's been, what, over two years now? But we need to talk, like, interpret scripture and preach in ways that are cognizant that the trauma of the pandemic is not over, Right. And so we want to we want to do that work continuously. And so really, I wanted to kind of name both of those. And then another kind of tip, I always say I don't I don't offer pearls I of wisdom. Know, I offer rocks of wisdom. Right. <laughs> Is that it matters both what we say and how we say it. Mm-hmm. What we say, the con- content that is mindful of trauma, content that can hold together like we were talking about, can live in that tension between brokenness and hope and death and resurrection, right? Content that is very clear about how what you're holding together without trying to crush one or the other, right? Um, content that is able to leave open questions, uh, that is able to allow folks to find their own brokenness in the midst of the language. Content that also offers language, right? Like I said, one of the first thing trauma steals is our capacity to articulate. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things preachers can do is offer faithful language that says, this is help, you know, if, claim this if this resonates with you, you know. And then with delivery and presentation, I think the ways we put our sermons together matters. If every time our sermon form is, here's a problem in the world, here's the scripture, aha, here's the solution, Mm -hmm. we automatically say that if it somehow falls outside the wisdom of the Bible, it's outside the wisdom of God, right? Or that if the Bible can't solve it, it's it's not solvable or it's somehow beyond the grace and work of God. But I think to be able to hold, even in our trauma-informed preaching, right, not the responsive, the informed, to be able to hold ambiguity in the mm. ways we put our sermon together, to not always rush to happy endings or easy answers, to tell stories that that hold space for the realities of life that are not all, and they lived happily ever after, mm. right? And they're not fairy tales. And that's a hard thing to do. And it's it's almost uncomfortable at times, especially for congregations that aren't used to that kind of preaching. Mm-hmm. But if we can do that in our everyday preaching, when the time comes for trauma-responsive preaching, and it's not an if anymore, it's a when. Mm. When the time comes for trauma-responsive preaching, our congregations will have capacity to live in that tension and theologically to hold that tension with us. And so a lot of what we do, I think, as we preach in our week-to-week preaching is we we practice this capacity to hold to hold space for the both end of our faith, right? The saint and sinner, to, to, to invite folks to be able to exist in Holy Saturday spaces. So those are, I'll, I'll stop there, um, <laughs> let you follow up if you have things, but. No, that was great. I, I, I appreciate that. I, I hear a call to 
pastoral care. Pastoral care is a part of that, but also disciple-making. We're, we're shaping people's faith week by week by week. And so we have to take a longer view of our preaching and not just say, what am I going to say this Sunday? You know, that's the trauma response. This Sunday, I have to say a word about the horrible things that went on or or that are going on or, or whatever. But week after week after week, I have to open doors. I have to make possibilities. I have to have to help form, inform, shape people around certain ideas that, that are allowing for, as you say, ambiguity, questions, uh, and, and not resolving everything. And I, and I think you're also right to know that there will be a lot of people upset by that, you know, who are used to, I come every week to get my answers, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're the ones who, when you point out that the Bible has more questions than it has answers, they get, they get troubled by that too. But, uh, but I think learning to ask questions is, is a, a powerful kind of thing. One, one last specific one that I, that I thought of in preparation of this is, but what about individuals or even groups who say, I'm, I'm not having trauma. You know, this is not mm-hmm. affecting me. I'm, I'm above this or beyond this or, or you know, or whatever. Do, is it part of the preacher's job to convince them, yes, you are? You know, you are in trauma. Trauma is going on. It is shaping how you're thinking, how you're deciding. You know, I, I think this is off the subject, but I think part of our problems politically is that people are making trauma reactive kinds of statements all of the time. And, and that's why we're so divided. Yeah. But is is the preacher's job to to convince them of that, or or how would yeah. you respond to that? I guess absolutely, it's such a good question. It's a challenging question too, because I think often those who are uh, those both individuals and communities who deny their trauma or deny that they are experiencing trauma often don't feel safe or supported or feel like they have the resources to actually deal with it. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't feel like I can unpack or unload or process my trauma, it's easier to just kind of lock it away, right? Until I get to a place or a space where I can do that. Um, We see this all the time, I do, with students who come to seminary and all of a sudden their second year realize that they're in a safe place to start to process some of the things that have happened to them in their young adult lives, right? And so sometimes it takes I think there's a, a denial about trauma because it's hard. Like mm-hmm. trauma to, to to actually face and cope with and process and 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 work toward trauma recovery. That is hard work. That mm-hmm. is not just this is not time heals all wounds, right? That terrible right. saying that I can't stand. <laughs> because it's not true. And but instead I think what preachers I don't think preachers need to convince people of their trauma. I don't think that's our job. I don't think that's preacher's job. And I don't think we can, right? Like that's not a helpful way. But instead, I think through trauma-aware preaching, through trauma-responsive preaching when it's called for, preachers can actually open space for trauma to, first of all, not be a taboo subject in church Mm -hmm. and to create space for people to recognize and name and contend with their trauma. So a lot of what we can do in our preaching is model faithful trauma talk and processing and language. And come on, the biblical texts have a lot of trauma in them, right? The Bible is filled with traumatized persons that allows us and, and allows us to faithfully model trauma care and response and to acknowledge and name it and point it out 
And so I think preaching can offer language for trauma. It can model faithful trauma care and response. It can hold out trauma as not beyond the grace of God, as not taboo in church through these texts, through our preaching. And in doing so, the hope is that that preachers are able to cultivate spaces, faithful spaces for folks to feel safe or supported, or like they actually have some of the resources they need to realize what is going on and to face it. I'll tell you, when I teach, I teach a preaching and trauma course every year. And every year, at least a few students will come up to me and say, I never realized that that's what I I was dealing with. Mm. Right? Like when you started talking about the kind of characteristics of trauma, or when we started talking about this kind of trauma, all of a sudden, I, I, I saw my reflection in it. Mm. And so a lot of times, I think preachers don't Our job is not to tell people they have trauma, but our job is to create safe spaces and to cultivate language that allows people to see their own reflections and to know that it's a safe and secure and and holy space to process their trauma. And the last thing I want to say, because whenever I talk about kind of the role of the preacher, I think it's really important to remember preachers are not, unless you are trained, preachers are not trauma counselors. Right. And I never ask them to be. A lot of what we can do right through our preaching and our ministry is make space for people to express their trauma, to to be assured that their trauma does not separate them from the community or the love of God. And then we refer them, right? Refer, refer, refer. Or if our whole community is experiencing trauma, there are all kinds of folks that we can ask for help and support from from outside who can help us uh, to care for our traumatized communities as well. So I think the work of the preacher is that of creating space and language and recognition of trauma, but certainly not to tell people that they have trauma or convince them they have trauma, um, and certainly not to think that they function alone in helping people recover from trauma. Right. Oh, what a powerful word that is, you know, freeing to preachers who sometimes think they have to do it all. Um, yeah. There are others who can help in this process. And let's, Absolutely. let's Absolutely. stay in our lane in a sense. Kim, there's so many other things that I just love to talk. We're, we're, uh, we're coming close to the end of our time. Uh, I'm going to ask, would you mind if I contact you down the road and say, let's have a, a further conversation? Because there's so many other things that I think are, are important here. I know you're on sabbatical. I would love that. Good. No, no, I'm around. I would love that. I'm always eager to have these conversations. And, and you know, like I said at the start, I see my ministry. This is my ministry right now and, and serving folks who are preaching weekly and who are serving God's people. So I am glad for any opportunity to uh, continue the conversation. Well, tell me about the book. You you said the forthcoming book. Do you have a title? Uh, do you have a I date? do. I do. I have both. Um, it is good. It is entitled Fractured Ground, Preaching in the Wake of Mass Trauma. And it's coming out uh, Westminster John Knox Press uh, right at the first of the year of 2023. Excellent. So it'll be out um, out in uh, early 2023. And uh, so a lot of this and more that we've talked about today is in that book. And I'm excited about it. Um, I've also have a blog uh, for some of the kind of immediate reflections in the wake of these events that is preachingandtrauma.com. So okay. if folks, I've been posting a lot these past couple weeks on uh, uh, in light of the, you know, the, the shootings that have happened and all of these traumatic events that have come up. So yeah, so those are kind of two ways to find me. Okay. And, uh, 
And then I'm always glad for more conversation uh, with you and with anyone who might, it might be helpful for them. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll put the link into preachingandtrauma.com. Perfect. Um, and, uh, and folks will find you there. And maybe closer to when your book's out, we'll, we'll give you another call and, and see if we can talk about all of that. Because this is so crucial, I think, as you say, not just because of the pandemic or, or what's immediate, but it's just an ongoing kind of thing. I, I think we live in it these days. And and the one subject that, that I almost hesitate to bring up, but, but I want to talk to you about in the future is the pastor, the preacher's own tr- sense of trauma and how to how to handle that and what to say and not to say. And I think a lot of preachers would appreciate some guidance or some thinking about that. But we'll come back to that. In the that meantime. sounds good. I'll, I'll be eager for that conversation. Good. Thank you, Dr. Kimberly Wagner. We were so glad that you could join us today and and pray that the rest of your sabbatical goes well and you enjoy some time with family and friends uh, down there. And we want to say thank you to those who are listening. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this has been helpful to you. And remember, you can always find more information at our website at umcdiscipleship.org. So until next time, we'll be praying for you and with you in your congregation. May God continue to bless your worship ministry as you continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.